Stanford versus Oregon State in the final home game of the regular season for the Cardinal this Saturday. And if you think if you think this is going to be an easy game for Stanford, <laughs> have, have a seat. Block off the next few minutes because we need to talk. And that's what we're going to do on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Friday, November 9th. 2018, getting you ready for Stanford versus Oregon State, as only we can here on the TreeCast. With me, Troy Clarity, the host of this show for a third season. Glad you're with us on a Friday late morning as I speak, as we get ready for a 6 p.m. kickoff between the Cardinal and the Beavers on the Pac-12 Network on Saturday evening. Coming up a bit later on in the show, you are going to hear from Stanford wide receiver Trenton Irwin. Boy, what a what a target he has been throughout his career. And, and he's had some, some some terrific games of late as well. We'll talk about, about the season from Trenton Irwin's perspective and what's on his plate as he gets ready to go through senior day. Yes, that's right. The senior send-off coming up this week. And that means an emotional week for David Shaw. You'll hear his thoughts on what Senior Day is all about. And, and one senior in particular who I think is, has been under the radar a lot this year. We'll talk more about that a bit later on in the program. First things first, though, uh, my apologies. Normally, I like to get these tree casts to you uh, during normal game weeks on Thursday afternoons or so. However, this Thursday had uh, soccer duty for the Pac-12 Network, calling Cal versus Stanford the Bears with a big win to close out the regular season, while the defending back-to-back-to-back national champion Stanford Cardinal now await the NCAA tournament. So not the not the best result that Stanford wanted from a men's soccer standpoint on Thursday night. But not only that, also had a swim meet to call as well. So Thursday was a little busy. Wasn't able to get to the tree cast uh, yesterday, but here we are. So my apologies again for not bringing this to you as uh, quickly and as uh, promptly in the normal timetable that I'd like to bring these to you. But uh, we are here, and I am here, my 26th season of following Stanford football. And uh, it's been a lot of fun overall, a little frustrating this year uh, for obvious reasons. But I can't wait to see how it all shakes out the final three games of the regular season. But it starts this week, Stanford versus Oregon State, as mentioned, and Earlier this morning, Friday morning, I was, I was bumping, a, bumping around Twitter, which can sometimes be a very dangerous thing to do. And someone who follows the Pac-12 pretty closely uh, posted up uh, their predictions. And they, they don't predict exact final scores, uh, but they will say whether they think it's going to be a blowout, um, a comfortable uh, result, or a close game. And there was only one blowout in this person's mind on the Pac-12 schedule this week. Stanford over Oregon State. <laughs> this person was calling it a blowout win uh, for the Cardinal over the Beavers. And I had to chuckle. I had to laugh. And it, it seems like, you know, uh, most Stanford fans think that this should be a foregone conclusion, a win for the Cardinal over the Oregon State Beavers, whether it's whether it's a blowout or not. Some people think this is going to be an easy win for the Cardinal over the Beavers. I got a question for those folks. Have you watched Stanford football this year? You, you really think that this is going to be easy? 
because this team does not believe in doing things the easy way. We talked about this on Sunday's TreeCast right after the Washington loss. And K.J. Costello, I thought, put it perfectly in the postgame uh, uh, press conference that he had in the 27-23 loss to Washington last week. He said, look, you know, we, we dominate situations that are hard, but we don't dominate situations that win us ball games." And that's a perfect capsule, I think, of, of what Stanford football has largely been this year. I mean, it's great they've played better when things have, have been tough, but, but heck, you hate to put yourself in that position every single week, which Stanford has largely done. So anyone who thinks that, that this game is going to be easy for Stanford clearly hasn't watched the Cardinal this season. <laughs> because this, this team does not believe in making things easy on themselves. Players, coaches, it, it just seems like like everyone decides to conspire to make it as hard as it possibly can for the Cardinal. Down 21-0 early second quarter, all right, now let's start playing some ball. You know, it, it, just, it, it just amazes me how some people can think. Look, and I hope they're right. I hope they're right. I hope it is a blowout win for Stanford over Oregon State this week. But I, I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. And it, it, it reminds me of the setup going into last year's meeting when Stanford headed up to Corvallis. Lovely Corvallis. And I don't say that with sarcasm, by the way. I actually like Corvallis. It's a good spot. It's a good little town. Home of the, the Broken Yolk, the best breakfast spot in the Pac-12, by the way. Get, get the loco moco. You'll be full for 12 hours. It's a beautiful thing. But the last time Stanford and Oregon State squared off, it was in Corvallis last year. And you might, you, you might have pushed this game out of your memory. I don't fault you for it. But Stanford was down 14-9 to lowly Oregon State. The Beavers had already fired their head coach a couple weeks before the Beavers were just circling the drain, but somehow, some way, they had a five-point lead over the Cardinal late in the game. Stanford just dead in the water offensively and having a tough night defensively, too. That was the game uh, Elijah Holder got lost for the rest of the season, if I remember correctly. So that was a little bit tough, a little bit tough. But the Cardinal down 14-9 and should have lost that game until Ryan Nall fumbled. And Harrison Phillips scooped it up with 2.30 to go and the ball inside Beaver territory. Next thing you know, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is catching a touchdown pass with 20 seconds left. And Stanford just sneaks out of Corvallis with a 15-14 win. That certainly wasn't easy, was it? And I, I remember going into that game, I had a feeling that things would be a bit tough for Stanford coming into it but only for about a half or so, because I thought there was, there was so much unknown about the Beavers at that time. You, you, just, you just didn't quite know how things would shake out. But I also thought that in the second half, the Cardinal would assert itself and play much better and get out to a comfortable lead and win over the Beavers at the very end of it all. Turns out I was only half right. So anyone, anyone, I, I, I caution you against this, but anyone who thinks that this is going to be an easy result for Stanford over Oregon State, I'd better think again. And clearly they haven't watched enough of this team this year. So that's my, that's my word of warning. Again, I would love to be proven wrong, 
I would love to be walking out of Stanford Stadium for the final time this season on Sta- on Saturday night with the Cardinal coming off of a 30-point win over a team that on paper they should beat relatively handily. Even though the Beavers have some, some nice guys. We'll talk a bit more about them a bit later on in the show. I would love to be proven wrong, but if there's anything that's been proven about this Stanford team this year, it's that is that they don't they don't do things easy. Should I, should I do my Tina Turner impression? <laughs> they, they, they don't do things nice and easy. <laughs> they do it nice and rough. Oh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Stanford versus Oregon State. One of the young men who will try to lead the Cardinal to victory over the Oregon State Beavers is a senior from Southern California, Valencia, as a matter of fact. Usually drive through there on I-5 on your way down into Los Angeles proper. But Trenton Irwin established himself as a dependable guy. A guy who catches first downs, a guy who makes tough catches, a guy who makes big plays. He established himself as that guy pretty much from jump. And he's just built on it and built on it over the last few years. And it has culminated in what's been really a terrific season for him. The new emphasis on the passing game, KJ Costello uh, throwing 40-plus passes in back-to-back games, by the way, uh, has really helped guys like Trenton Irwin, shine like never before. And it's meant good things for Irwin, who now heads into the final game of his Stanford Stadium career. Earlier this week, Trenton Irwin and I had a chance to sit down and chat about various things. Always enjoy chatting with, uh, with, with, with number two. And the first thing that I asked Trenton Irwin were, 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 were his thoughts. What was going through his mind as Stanford was on the plane heading back to the Bay Area from Seattle last Saturday night after the loss to Washington. Well, I mean, you can't give a team, you know, a half, half a game head start. That's just part of the game. You can't do that. You know, it's two, it's two halves. Uh, we played a good second half, I think, overall as on the defense and on offense. So it's one of those things you got to learn that you, you just got to come out swinging. You can't, you can't let them, you know, start the, you know, take the first punch. You got to come out swinging. You got to go out there and just put your best foot forward from the get-go. KJ Costello said something interesting, I thought, after the game. He said that, you know, we do a great job of, of dominating situations that are hard, yeah. but we don't necessarily dominate situations that, that, that win us ball games. What, what, what's your reaction to that? I, you know, I think that's, that's very accurate, you know. When it, when it gets hard, we know what to do. We've been putting those situations all off season with Turley and through all that, and uh, so we do know what to do there. I think when it's, situ- you know, just, I don't know, I, I think in the beginning of games, we just got to get stuff going early, and it's sort of, Sort of like a shooter, you know, sometimes you got to get, you know, a little couple shots in to get the, the flow going right, you know, getting rhythm. Um, but we have to find a way to find our own rhythm early. It cul- uh, much of the, the Stanford scoring cul- uh, culminated uh, with your touchdown pass from uh, your touchdown catch rather from 33 yards out to close to a four-point game with about three and a half minutes to go. Uh, t- take us through that play. From the play call, you hear it in the huddle and in the execution. What went into making that play as successful as it was? 
Well, I mean, they've been playing a lot of two-man, which is a you know defense that makes it hard to break on routes and stuff like that, which has been a lot of my game. Um, but we were able to attack them down the middle of the field with our tight ends and our size in there. You know they have, they weren't able to stop that, so safety cheated in there. KJ hitched up and just you know threw it on out there outside shoulder like we've been working all year. So it was just a good to see things that we've been working on finally coming to fruition there. Take me inside two places. Take me inside the huddle. Mm-hmm. What's it like, especially in a in a situation where you know Stanford's trying to come back? They need six points. They need to get it going. You know what? What, what are the different personalities in the yeah. huddle? What's it like? You know when, when you're getting the word and, and, and in there with the, with the rest of your teammates there. It's cool to see, you know, people are different on the field, too. You know, when they're outside at, you know, class or whatever, it's different. But on the field, like, you sort of see, you see that fight. You know, you'll see Caden will be like, you know, hey, let's go. You know, not scared to make a play or something like that. And, you know, he'll chirp like that. And, you know, he's he's out there ready to ball out. And then you keep hearing, you know, J.J. will say something similar. And it's it's a matter of you you start to hear their competitive mentalities of just, you know, just what they tell themselves, too. Because a lot of times what you speak out is sort of what you're telling yourself, I think. A lot of times, you know, you say something to express your thoughts but it's also what you tell yourself so like you know for me I mean, it might be you know don't be, don't be scared to make a play or you know uh, let's be great just something just something to get going and uh, you know it's cool to see everyone's personality there is it the same kind of thing in the wide receiver room the different personalities that that that, that perhaps emerge when you guys are going through the week and going through things you need to you guys need to do uh, during the course of the week I would say so you know I mean I always tell the receivers you know we're always open no one can guard us <laughs> so that's got to be your mentality it doesn't matter who's guarding you you know JJ and I we've I always talk to him be like bro no one can guard us it's just straight up and it, it's the mentality you have to have as a wide receiver you know and I think that you know with being in chemistry with KJ I think it's one of those things that I don't think it can be guarded it's interesting you bring up the chemistry between wide receiver and quarterback how how long does it take or how long can it take to get to that point because I'm sure that it isn't something they just you, just, you, get, you guys just walk out on the field and it just happens you know right from jump what are some things that go into having that chemistry between yourself and the guy who's dealing you the rock well, that's, that's talking that situational stuff. You know, you got to be able to work out. You know, we're in the boundary. We're press coverage. You know, you want the ball on the outside eye so that, you know, if you stack him, you get the ball outside eye, there's nothing the DB can do but run through you for a pass interference. So it's sort of the situational there. And, you know, if he wants to play on top, we'll talk, we'll talk how they're playing during the game. You know, we'll work all offseason, try to get what type of balls and certain looks. But in the game, it's all about being on the same page. You know, talking about, oh, he's playing this type of leverage. Oh, he's playing on top. Oh, he's playing out, you know, he's one-arm jabbing. Oh, he's, you know, outside shade, I'm going to slip. So in this game, they were playing a lot of, you know, two-man, which means they're going to play inside and sort of try to trail and play underneath. And so that was a matter of getting getting stacked, getting the position, and putting the ball on the outside eye to where he couldn't make a play. As we speak, it doesn't look like J.J. is going to be able to go in this game, perhaps next week uh, against Cal. And obviously he means so much to this team offensively. What potentially changes? How does does your role potentially change or do things potentially change for you uh, without, with, without J.J. potentially in the fold against the Beavers? Well, I mean, that just means we got to make plays early. You know, we got to make, uh, make some long ones too because he's been a big red zone threat. So hopefully we can break something, you know, 60, 70 yards so it – doesn't you know affect us as much but um you know i think you know we're gonna miss him for sure he's a good player and we'll he'll come back next week i assume but i don't know the details on that um but i think it's just one of those things you know next person up they gotta step up and try to make some plays and just you know represent the squad 
couple last questions for Trenton Irwin as he joins us here on the TreeCast. Trenton will be making his final walk, playing in his final game at Stanford Stadium in his in his terrific career, catches in 37 uh, straight games, one of the one of the longest streaks in the nation. Uh, obviously, you might not quite exactly know what it feels like until you actually experience it yourself. But what what do you anticipate Saturday being like, walking into that stadium with the uniform on for the final time? You know, I just I anticipate looking up in the stands, seeing my family there. You know, I'm going to have, I think I have like 10, 12 tickets I have to get. So <laughs> I'll have a lot of family there. <clears throat> and, you know, just, I just want to have some fun with my boys. You know, I want to be on the sideline. I want to have some fun because I feel like that's when we play our best. If you're having fun, you play your best. It's so many times people get so serious and that's when you like, you start getting serious. You start thinking about making mistakes. And if you're just out there balling, it's, it's like backyard stuff. You're hanging out. Balling out, you practice all week to be able to ball out and have fun in the, on the game day. So I think that's what I look forward to, and I think that'll be the best thing there. All right, as we wrap this up, your thoughts on your initial read on the Oregon State Beavers and some things that you're going to be looking forward to uh, on the field on Saturday. You know, you gotta you gotta respect Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12, you always see upsets. You know, I mean, you look at anyone. You look at SC, who's not doing well in the South, but they beat Washington State. You know, it's it, you always see upsets. So you gotta you gotta respect every opponent. You gotta go out there and ball out you know I think they have they play a lot of cover one they're playing a lot of man man coverage so as a receiver you love to see that um, because that gives you an opportunity to make plays so I'm anxious to get out there and just have some fun and Oregon State has certainly made themselves a, a very interesting team the last couple of weeks coming back to beat Colorado making things a little okay. interesting against USC so it should be a lot of fun yeah uh, this upcoming week thanks a bunch appreciate the time best of luck and it's been a pleasure watching thank you that's Trent Irwin uh, really a big stretch for him as he enters uh uh, the home, uh, the home stretch of the regular season for him, and, and I, I really find it interesting. You know, there, there's there's so much that goes into into this sport. There's so much that goes into it. So much hard work that 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 fans don't see. So much that that the media isn't allowed to see. But a lot of that shows up on the field when you see the chemistry between K.J. Costello and his wide receivers. J.J. Arcega, Whiteside, of course, uh, we're not going to see him this week, uh, except for during the senior day festivities, it appears, but he's certainly not going to be on the field uh, thanks to the, that, that injury that he suffered last week. But there's just so much chemistry between quarterback and receiver. And it isn't something that just develops overnight. It isn't something that, that necessarily, you know, the guys just step on the field the first time and then, boom, it happens right away. No. That takes endless repetition. That takes a lot of after-practice work. That takes a lot of summer sessions. And you see the payoff of all the hard work on Saturdays. So I always find it very interesting to, to, to hear and, and to see, you know, what these kids go through to, to be at the top of their craft. It's a lot of hard work. And the hard work paying off for uh, K.J. Costello from a statistical standpoint of late and for Trenton Irwin as well. Looking forward to seeing what, what Trenton can do as he closes out his Cardinal career and to see where he goes beyond this. Really interesting dude. He was a child actor back in the day. And <laughs> he, he had to make a choice. It came down to it. You know, he got a callback, I believe, for a part. He was telling this story a few weeks ago, and he got a callback for a part. And the callback was like at 4.30. And he had to go into, into L.A. and read for it. Well, that meant he had to miss practice. That also meant that coach had to sit him down for the first quarter of the next game. Trenton didn't like that. So that was the end of Trenton's child acting career. <laughs> but uh, 
football's worked out well for him to this point. And who knows? Acting is still out there if he wants to go into it after it's all said and done. But it is senior day coming up for the Cardinal. And emotions high for the players, but emotions high for the coaches as well. I want to take you back to David Shaw's weekly press conference on Tuesday. When and I, I want to play his entire clip, his entire answer here. Runs two and a half minutes or so, but I think it's I, I think it's well worth it. David Shaw sharing his thoughts on what this senior day means to him. This this game always sneaks up on me, and uh, you were thinking about okay, we have to get ready for the pregame the pregame ceremony, and who's going to do it? And who's and you see the list of guys, and you know I, I get nostalgia uh, just. Uh, as soon as I see the names and I see JJ, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like it seemed like yesterday, uh, the big catch against UCLA, which put him on the map as a redshirt freshman. I'm like, gosh, that was three years ago already? Or a couple years ago? Gosh, that, that went pretty fast. Um, you know, uh, in Trent Irwin's uh, house at the home visit, um, as he's walking through in the living room, walking through, you know, the route tree and different things that he do. And we're talking about footwork. Uh, so it goes so fast from recruiting to them playing their first couple games to like, oh, my gosh, they're leaving. Uh, that's 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 tough. You know, I think about sitting in Joey Alfieri's living room, you know, talking to his dad you know, about what we hope for Joey. And a lot of people still. We're, we're sending me emails and text messages. And, hey, gosh, Joey should play running back. He rushed for 300 yards a game up in high school. Um, so all those things just they come back to you. And so I try to remind the guys. And for some of them, they don't think about it until this week. Try to tell them this college experience goes really fast. It goes really fast. Sometimes the days are long, but the years are short. And, you know, the, you remember moments. And if you... If all you're trying to do, which I feel bad for so many guys across America and so many people that put young people in this position, their families and people in my position and people in your position, where they're so in a hurry to go to the NFL. We're so in a hurry to leave and get out of here and I should get this and I should get that. And they're missing something special, which college football is special. Um, and the, and it's not just game day, it's every day. And, uh, it's so fast and so fleeting, and when these guys leave, no matter what kind of experience they have, whether they caught a bunch of balls or made a bunch of tackles, they look back and say, man, that was a lot of fun. You know, I really miss that. You know, And then, then they become like us, going to work every day and got mortgages and paying rent and you know all that, playing utilities, uh, and that, that fun, youthful, carefree college experience is behind them, so... That's all, all the things that go through my head. And, and then, gosh, have I done enough uh, to influence this young man and help this guy prepare for this next stage uh, of his life. Um, but it's a great week. It's always an emotional week. Yeah, well, well said and well put by David Shaw. And, you know, there's, you know college football isn't perfect. It's not. Um, how the sport is run. Um, how the resources are allocated. It's not a perfect sport. But it's still special, man. There is, it's, it, there's still so much about college football that I think does 
a better job of connecting with people. And I think certainly the NFL does these days. And that experience is amazing. I never got to run through the tunnel. I never got to play in front of 80,000 people. I never got to forge those kinds of experiences that, that you take with you for the rest of your life. Now, I was in the building. <laughs> you know, I was calling those games as a student back on KZSU back in those days. So I was at least in the building. But the college football experience from a player standpoint is, is truly a special one. And it happens in the blink of an eye. Even though, as David Shaw says, the days might be long, but the years are short. And one senior in particular, I, I, I really, really hope, and I think he will, I really hope that, that he gets a lot of love on Saturday. And that, of course, will be Bryce Love. A guy who has fallen off the radar this season. Haven't talked much about Bryce Love this year, certainly not on the tree cast, because and mostly, mostly when we do talk about Bryce, we're updating you on his ankle and where it stands. Still day-to-day, last time we checked, by the way. But he should be okay. He's not going to be 100%. But Bryce will probably not be 100% for the remainder of the season. And it hasn't been the kind of season that most folks expected of Bryce to have in 2018. It would have been unfair to try to set the bar where he put it at 2017 with over 2,100 yards rushing. Just an all-time terrific season. That would have been tough for him to replicate. That said, I, I wasn't expecting this. The numbers just aren't there. Love is still the leading rusher for the squad this year, but with only 490 yards on the ground this year. That's it. That's it. 490 yards. To put that in perspective, Bryce Love had 524 yards last year rushing through the first three games of the season. He had 524 by mid-September last year. And only 4.4 yards per game, yards per carry, rather, so far this year. So it hasn't been statistically uh, the the season that that Bryce Love, I'm sure, would have liked. And it hasn't been that way medically either. But man, what Bryce Love epitomizes and what he means to this program, what he sacrificed to be with this program for one more year, for one more shot at a Rose Bowl. That shot's now gone, obviously, but but he, he sacrificed a lot for it. And the team player that he is doesn't like talking about himself really at all. You, t- you ask him to talk about himself, the questions, be, the, the answers become pretty short and bland. But you ask him about his teammates, he opens up so much more. And, and you can tell the pride that he takes, not just in his work, but, but also the pride that, that he takes in, in watching his teammates succeed and, and, and watching the folks around him in the program succeed as well. And, oh, by the way, Bryce Love hits the books. And, oh, by the way, Bryce Love wants to be a pediatrician when it's all said and done. That young man 
is what college football should be all about. Should be all about the epitome of the student athlete. I know these are cliches that are going to make the NCAA gush, but you know, sometimes, sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's true. And even though this isn't the year that Bryce Love would have would have would have preferred, even though he's not going to end up in the room in New York City again in, on the second Saturday in December. Still, I, I want to give a moment because I quite honestly had forgotten until it was brought back to my attention earlier this week that this will be the last time Stanford fans see Bryce Love in their own building. This is it. And I just want to thank not only the entire senior class, guys like uh, Brandon Fanica, Mustafa Branch, Trenton Irwin, um, John Barton, so many others. But I definitely want to take special time out to Bryce Love, who has been a wonderful ambassador for, for Stanford football, for Stanford University, and for college football as a whole. I, I can't wait to see what great things he does on this planet beyond football. Beyond football. I can't wait to see what he does from here. I just wanted to show a little appreciation for Bryce Love there, and I, I hope you will too at Stanford Stadium on Saturday evening. A couple of things to watch between Stanford and Oregon State. Number one, when the Beavers have the ball, keep an eye on running back Jermar Jefferson. You know, it, it's, it's the Beavers. You might not know a whole lot about this team. Um, yeah. You don't get to see them a whole lot. They certainly don't have have the, the the cachet. Certainly don't have the relevance that other teams in the Pac-12 North have. But Jermar Jefferson has shaped up to be the real deal for the Beavers so far this year. Almost almost 1,100 yards rushing and 12 touchdowns on the ground for Jermar Jefferson too. Oh by the way, oh by the way, he dropped 254 on Arizona State earlier this year. Stanford's had trouble against the run this year. What does that mean for Jamar Jefferson? We'll see. We'll see. Also for the Beavers, while they don't force a lot of turnovers defensively, they've only turned the ball over themselves 11 times this year. That's it. And quarterback Jake Luton, who came back to start the second half for the Beavers, in Colorado, and led one of the most stunning comebacks we've seen, certainly in recent memory in Pac-12 history, as they were down, they are down, what, 24 points, I believe? And came back and won in overtime, on the road. But Luton has thrown 203 passes this year, and only one interception. Can Stanford turn that trend around and find a turnover touch against a Beaver squad that you know, it doesn't leap off the page with, 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 with great things, but they hang on to the ball. They hang on to the rock. They don't beat themselves necessarily in that way. Only 11 turnovers this year for Oregon State. Can Stanford flip that script? And above all, can Stanford start fast? In all phases, not just offensively. But can they start fast defensively? 
And can they keep going? We mentioned the big comeback for Oregon State. They, you know, depending upon th- how things look, you know, they might they might look at a big lead for Stanford and go, eh, that's all right. We've come back and we've, you know, we, we've we've come back and we've beaten teams that have big leads. Heck, USC last week had a twenty-one nothing lead on Oregon State before the Beavers turned it around and made it twenty-one fourteen and made that game a bit more interesting than it probably should have been for much of that contest. Stanford needs fast starts, obviously offensively, but also defensively. And they also need to maintain that pace for the entire 60 minutes. Yes, even against Oregon State. So those are a couple of things I think I'll certainly be keeping an eye on while this game presents itself. Oregon State coming to town. Look, I'm a, you know, a couple of quick random thoughts to wrap up the show. Uh, Jonathan Smith, the first-year head coach of the Beavers, you might remember him as, as the Beavers quarterback back in the late 90s, back when Oregon State was, was on the rise. And Smith helped lead Oregon State to to still its best season overall, that, that, that 2000 squad that, that went to the Fiesta Bowl and just embarrassed Notre Dame and themselves, kind of, with all the, all the stupid penalties they racked up throughout the course of the game. But look, I was a big fan of Jonathan Smith then because he was like, what, 5'11"? I'm about as tall as he is. Could barely see over his offensive lineman and didn't have the best arm out there but he still found ways to make big throws. And he didn't put up, you know, if you're a huge completion percentage guy, you hated Jonathan Smith because he barely completed like 50% of his passes. But he would do it for big yardage. I mean, a typical stat line for him back in the day would be like, like maybe like 16 to 33, but for 350 yards and three touchdowns. Didn't hurt that he was throwing the guys like, like Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada. Tim Ewis was a pretty nice tight end. And he had some he had some weapons, man. And they had some speed. Boy, those Oregon State Beaver teams were fun to watch back in those days. Although I have a little trouble appreciating Jonathan Smith's 97-yard touchdown pass to Chad Johnson in 2000 against Stanford. That was not a fun day for the Cardinal. But big fan of Jonathan Smith and, and, and glad that glad that he is that he has this job. It's, it's a tall task to try to bring Oregon State back towards the top of the Pac-12 North. Some hurdles, some obstacles that he faces there that, that other coaches don't face elsewhere in the division. But big fan of his. And I'm, you know, I'm rooting for him. Just maybe not this week. Second quick random thought. Um, it, on Twitter... And, and, and by the way, you've got thoughts on, on the show. Hashtag TreeCast on Twitter is the way to go. Um, when, I, when I posted a tweet on last Sunday's TreeCast, uh, one of the things that, that I posted was there were any positives that Stanford can take away uh, from the loss to the Huskies. And the ever-opinionated Winflop checked in with his positive, and he said, quote, only major positive left is keeping our axe for a record ninth straight year. Cannot consider eight and four a successful season, which says a lot about how far this program has come. That tweet from Winflop, at Winflop, um, 
and he hashtag treecast those thoughts. Yeah, and I think it's I think it depends on how you look at it. Defining success for the season. And I think that 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 if Stanford finishes eight and four, in most ways, it will be seen as a disappointment because of the frustration, because of the inefficiency, because of the injuries, because of all the things that, that, have, that have conspired against Stanford a little bit to prevent them from being at their best. Much of those things self-inflicted. So in one sense, I can certainly agree that 8-4 that and four will be a bit of a disappointment for this squad. Now, two things branching off of that. Number one, that assumes that Stanford's going to finish 8-4. and four. I don't think that's as safe an assumption as you might think. All right? I've, I've got major trepidation about how things might go next week in Berkeley. We'll talk about that then. But 8-4 and four means that Sanford's winning their final three games of the regular season. And I'm, I'm not completely sold that, that that is the most likely outcome. So that's my reaction number one. Reaction number two is that going back as far with this program as I have, as mentioned, this is my 26th season following Stanford football. I've seen a lot of good things. I've seen a lot of not-so-good things. Grand scheme of it all, that's why it's hard for me to consider eight and four a disappointment in the big picture for Stanford football. Because I remember those days, and they weren't quite that long ago, where we would look at the schedule in August and try to figure out how in the hell Stanford was going to scratch out six wins. It wasn't that long ago, just over a decade, when... Stanford going to any bowl would be cause for celebration. Liberty Bowl? Yeah, that's cool. Let's go. <laughs> Sun Bowl? Sweet. Let's hit it. So when you look at the entire framework of Stanford football uh, and its history, 8-4 and four will still stand out. But when you narrow the focus to just this season, 8-4 and four will be a disappointment. If Stanford finishes that high, I still can't believe the Cardinal have lost four of their, their last five games. And, and a final quick random thought here. Um, I check out the message boards from time to time. And I, 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 although I don't do it in the immediate aftermath of, of Stanford football games, uh, positive or negative result for the Cardinal, I, I, I wait until, until after, after I post a tree cast and wait until after I get a, get a good night's sleep to try to, you know, get some distance, get some perspective. But during the week, I do, you know, take a peek at some message boards here and there and kind of see, see what folks, or at least the, the vocal folks, seem to be thinking. And, and one thing that, that kind of popped up this week, beyond the, it wasn't just complaints about how things went against Washington, which, which are founded, but a theme that seemed to be popping up was that Oh, I didn't watch the game. I was just, after we got, after Stanford got the first delay of game penalty, I turned it off in disgust. I saw someone else were like, uh, you know, I, I, I preferred to watch Washington State instead against Cal over, over, watching, over watching Stanford. And these are Stanford fans, mind you. Someone had, 
someone uh, uh, tweeted me and said that they had their brother's wedding and they listened to the TreeCast and they're they're glad after listening to my show that they didn't watch the game against Washington. Look, folks, let me tell you right now. Watch the games. Watch the games. Make a point to watch the games. Some weeks it's harder than others depending upon where you are in the country. I realize that. But watch the games. Watch them. That way you know what you're truly complaining about. And not just being some some random voice on the internet spewing outrage, which never happens in America in 2018. But it, it just seemed like the, the people who seemed to be most disgusted by how things went didn't even watch the game. So someone else I saw you know, admitted they only watched half the Washington game and and maybe, you know, they, they turned off the USC game because it got boring. I was like, really? You, you, you claim that you're a Stanford fan and you turned off a Stanford win over USC because you were bored midway through it? What sense does that make? Yet that same person was also complaining big time about, about how things had gone. Hmm. Yeah, it may, may, maybe it serves me right <laughs> for looking at message boards and checking out Twitter and all those sorts of things. It probably does serve me right. But folks, watch the game. Watch the games. It makes you look a heck of a lot more informed when you do. And it places a heck of a lot more credibility in your complaints. And again, a lot of complaints about this team, about how, th- how things have gone, are valid. They're valid. I get it. I understand it. In most cases, I'm, in many cases, I'm right there with you. But watch the games. Watch the games. Come to Stanford Stadium Saturday evening. Cheer on Bryce Love one final time. Show him some appreciation for, for, for what he means to this program and what he means to this university and this sport. And watch the game on TV. You can also listen on the radio, too. That's where I'll be. I'll be sitting in between Scott Reese and Todd Huzak in the Stanford radio booth. So I highly encourage that as well. And no matter what we see or hear, we'll talk about it on Sunday's TreeCast. I promise I'll be with you on Sunday. (laughs) But we'll be in the locker room at Stanford after the game. We'll bring you interviews um, with the players, sound bites, all sorts of things. We'll put the wraps on uh, Stanford's uh, result against Oregon State. That'll be on Sunday's TreeCast. Thanks again to our special guest for this week, Trent Irwin. Trent Irwin. Enjoyed chatting with him. Hope you enjoyed hearing it. We'll talk to you on Sunday's TreeCast. Until then, do not drink and drive. If you do, you are the dumbest person on the planet. Thanks again. And see you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clare.